Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the O Show podcast, episode 485. We are presented by Mayweather Boxing and Fitness in Scottsdale, Arizona. Mayweather Boxing and Fitness is an inclusive workout formulated by the champ, Floyd Money Mayweather himself. Head on down to Mayweather Boxing and Fitness in Scottsdale. We're also sponsored by BetOnline.ag. We got AFC and the NFC Championship matchups this weekend in the National Football League. Make your picks by signing up for that 50% bonus using the promo code capital B. B-L-E-A-V-50. Again, that's capital B-L-E-A-V-50 to sign up for that 50% off bonus using betonline.ag. We got a special treat in the house today. We got Hannah Keller, who if you guys want to watch episode 460, we had Peter Meyerhoff on the show. Incredible story. Incredible man's been through a lot. Um, His significant other has a story to tell as well. Hi, I'm so excited. Actually, I'm really nervous because this is my second podcast that I've ever done, so <laughs> give me some grace. A lot to live up to. Well, we'll make it work, but you got a lot going on. You've had a busy day today as well, dropping oh, off yeah. your kids. You are not a fan of birthday parties, birthday apparently. Birthday parties, kids' birthday parties. Who who created these things? You're you're a real adult for saying that. <laughs> My mother's like, I love the children. Oh, I love birthday parties. Lying. No, I was, I was even saying on my social media, like, I don't do birthday parties with my kids because I can't stand them. Oh. And I know it sounds heartless, but I actually do other things, you know, more yeah. adventurous. We go and we do something. We have a day to ourselves. We spend quality time together. That's their birthday. I think it's way cooler than hanging out with people that you've never met before that they go to school with. Like, that's kind of weird. Right. I mean, literally just give them the day off from school, like you were saying before. You know, you yeah. don't have to do anything special. We went to the mall, went shopping, whatever she wanted. She could buy that day. Like, that's cool. Oh, my God. Well, I'm happy that uh, we got to do this. Yeah. Because, again, Peter gave me your number probably the day after we did our podcast. And I'm like, I'll text her. And then I'm like, I haven't done it yet. I wanted to wait a little bit, though. Wanted to wait a little bit. Wanted to wait a little bit before, um, obviously, your podcast came out. Uh, Roll Call with Chappie with Peter Meyerhoff. If you guys want to check that one out, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube as well. You guys are on video. YouTube as well. Brand new studio, which looks awesome. Right in the With a huge metal I mean, that's unbelievable. You guys are in Chandler, right? We're in Chandler. We actually we we first met in Philly, right? We did at, at the the Sean V Bradley event. Yeah. How close right. are you guys with him? Not anymore. Not not at no, all. Haven't haven't spoken. Out. No way, really. Shh, don't tell anybody I said okay. that. Okay. Well, I, I guess I'll text Peter later about <laughs> yeah, it. I'm not shocked. That guy that guy is all over the place. But uh, I'm I'm very very intrigued and excited to talk to you a little bit about your story today yeah again whatever you want to talk about but you have been through just like everything Helen back back. let's just say that (laughs) Helen back um where do you want to start because again I think probably the most fascinating thing that you said within the first five minutes of yours and Peter's podcast was that obviously in order to pay your bills obviously you have two kids right Mm -hmm. two kids Two two little girls and you had to go strip in order to make a consistent living. And Everything the funny thing was, was is that you told your mother that you were just going to be a bartender at the strip club yeah, instead of ooh. actually telling her that you were a stripper. Yeah. Um, honestly, stripping, there's so many things that come to mind when someone says, oh, I'm a stripper. Yeah. You know, and I know because when I had, I was saying I had a client who was a stripper, I was 
a licensed esthetician and she was my client and you know she was a stripper so I wanted to know all about it you right. know and because my mentality was like that's disgusting it had you know you're a, you're basically a whore that's what I thought Come to find out, it's not even close to that. Right, it's got like a stigma to it, right? It does it, right? have a horrible stigma, and my my family is going to have that stigma. They're not going to understand anything, and so I hid it. Of course, I'm going to hide it, and I did it for me, and I always think, like, I don't need to explain myself to anybody, and um, if they asked, I would have been honest, but they just, they just believed me, <laughs> so I didn't say what I was really doing. Right. Um, yeah, I did that. It's been four years now, um, and the money was so good. It was insane. Insanity. But it came with, you know, there. it came with a lot of things. So you, I had to create this, like, al- alternative persona. I, I said, like, I had... Um, a split personality. Like I'd be Hannah, and then when I would walk through my work doors, my stripper name was Moxie. 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 Okay. Um, and so when I'd go to work, I was no longer Hannah anymore. Yeah. Like I was this asshole that couldn't have feelings. Um, I was there to hustle. I was there to get money. I was there to right. manipulate men. I was there to get my money. I wasn't there to make friends. I wasn't there for anything but that. Was that a slow build, or did you say, like, as soon as you got that, that's the type of mentality that you had to develop in order to make uh, it in that? The first night, I did a lot of watching. My first night yeah. dancing, it was like, oh, I was watching what was going on around me. I was taking it all in. Um, I went back the second time, and it was like, okay, okay, there's a, when you go in, you know what girls are making money. Yeah. There's the girls that aren't. <laughs> They're taking home a hundred bucks a night, and there's a the hundred dollars a night. Yeah, there's girls that are taking nothing home at night, and there's girls that are taking thousands home at night. And it's like I'm gonna surround myself with the girls that are taking thousands home because they're doing something right. I'm not here to make a hundred dollars. So um, you get in with the girls that know what they're doing, and you learn. So I learned, and I just absorbed it all, and I became my own person, Moxie. Oof. How how long before you told your parents? I actually, they just found out this year. No way. They, yeah, just this year. And I didn't tell them. Somebody else told them. Oh, that's Somebody not good. Somebody else ratted You never me. want that. Who ratted? Uh, my ex-husband. Mm. <laughs> He's being a little salty. Um, so he ratted on me and, you know, it was like, how could you lie to me? And it was like, could I have been honest? Could I have been? I don't think I could have been because look at what you're doing and how you're treating me now that you know. You were saving yourself from an argument that you didn't want to have, right? It wasn't hurting them. It's not affecting them. It's not doing anything to them. So my little secret had nothing to do with them personally. Did it hurt them a couple years later finding that out? I think the fact that I lied about it hurt them. Yeah. I could have been honest, but like I said, if they would have asked, I would have said yes. But it's just something that... It's not going to hurt if you don't know. No. You know what I mean? Um, and, and then, you know, they find out, and they're like, well, now that's a horrible job. You know, my mom used to say, I'm so proud of you. If I could have done that, I, if I could have been a bartender or a hostess, I would have done that, too, because that's amazing. And then she finds out a stripper. She's like, that's evil. That's horrible. Right. How could you do that? And I'm like, you were just saying you were proud of me. It was literally, like, <laughs> literally just, like, right next to it, too. Like, I'm going to be working as a bartender in the strip club. In the strip club. You know, you're right there in all of it anyways. <laughs> I'm in it anyways. Yeah. Yeah, so um, 
And then she says that, and she's like, we gotta do something else. I'm like, nobody can tell me anything unless you are going to take care of my bills. I mean, you can say whatever you want, but at the end of the you day, didn't want to take their you money aren't too. paying for me. Yeah. Well, no, I'm not gonna, no. I'm a, no, I've been on my own since I was 17, and I, it's, maybe it's a pride thing, but I'm not going to take money from anybody. Wow. So I stopped stripping when I met Peter, and it was out of respect, and it's understanding. I wouldn't want my man to be a stripper Absolutely. if I was in a relationship with him, so I stopped. But recently, um, big announcement, I'm going back to stripping. And for the sole purpose, Peter's not working right now. I'm not working right now. And I decided I wanted to go back to school and take a course uh, for my aesthetics license. And in order to pay for that, I'm going to have to go back to stripping. Right. And obviously it's, you know, you talked about the stigma before of that, right? People automatically just jump to like the stereotype, what they see on TV, like in a sitcom or like in a movie or just, you know, just porn all over the internet, right? Like people just jump to stigmas. It's so, so, so very difficult for people to be open-minded about it, well, right? I mean, honestly, people hear stories too about, there are clubs that are nasty. There yeah. are clubs where girls do really bad things. Um, and I've been to, a, I haven't worked at any of them, but I visited as a customer, and so I get it. And so these guys go in there, they get these services, and then they talk about it. So then they put the word out there that strippers are nasty. I get it, it makes sense. But the club that I work at is run very professionally. It's very clean. Um, we actually have cameras in every single room, and in every single private room there's cameras. The whole club is cameras and microphones, so you can't get away with shit there. And then you have to be licensed to be a stripper. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> really? Do you take a test? No. What do you do? No, you just have to pay fees. But you have to be licensed, get fingerprinted, like a clearance card Okay. Um, to, to dance. And then um, so we've got our bouncers. We've got the cameras. And there's things legally you can't do. So legally, I can't be touched. Makes sense. So people don't know that. Like... It's illegal. So there's a lot of things that you have to watch out. You can't say certain things because if an undercover cop came in, you'd be arrested. I don't want to get arrested. <laughs> Wait, so you guys, uh, they can't touch you, but you can't touch them either? No, not legally. It's illegal. It's prostitution okay. if you were to actually no, absolutely. You know, sexually touch I absolutely understand that. So no. And huh. it's so funny because the money that you make and you don't do anything, you know, and guys are like, oh, I went down the street and got this. I'm like, that's sad for that woman because I'm tripling what she just made and you haven't touched me yet. <laughs> Do they have to sign in? Like, speaking as someone who's never been to a strip club. You haven't? With my mom watching. I can't, Sorry, I can't mom. say that. You, uh, <laughs> Do they have to sign, like, waivers and stuff? Because, like, they have to know that, too, that they no. can't touch anybody, right? No, they right? don't know that. So that? Mm-mm. You ever run into a it's situation? It's all about manipulation. Yeah. I have to manipulate manipulate these men into thinking they're gonna get what they think they're gonna get, without saying they're gonna get it. And when the, I do that, their credit card is coming out. Right. Thousands of dollars to get what they think they're gonna get, and then, you know, once they, I get my money, it's like, ooh, I never said that. That's I a sick that. game. But you obviously knew how to work it. Were you able to leave Moxie at the door when you left work, or did that kind yes of spill no. over into yes and no? Um, I started thinking about men differently. Yeah, you know, yeah. like I look at them differently now. Um, if I am at the grocery store and a man hits on me, it's like 
Moxie comes out. Mm. <laughs> Ooh, you want to hit on okay. me? How about you buy my groceries? <laughs> you know, it's like, I don't she know. comes out at the right time. It, yeah. Okay. Sometimes, sometimes. I, she, Moxie's a very heartless person. But like I said, you have to, you can't have feelings because guys try and sit there and make you feel like you're a piece of shit when I know I'm not. You're a piece of shit. You're paying me. <laughs> I mean, most of the guys going to the strip club, too, are down and out. They're all the same. None of them are, like, stand-up guys. No, they're all the same. And they're married. They try to take their rings off, put it in their pocket. Like, I already saw your ring. Do you think I care? I don't care. I mean, you think Peter's going to show up now? To the strip club? Yeah. He doesn't like them. But still, knowing that you're going to be going back to work as the protective No, you know, to make other. him comfortable with it, when I first met him, I brought him into work as a customer. Like, I came in with him, and I introduced him to all the people I worked with. I showed him the rooms. I showed him the cameras, like, to make him feel as comfortable as possible. Um, when I do go to work, I don't tell him what happens at work. He doesn't want to hear it. But, like, if he asks, I'll say, like, oh, it was a good night, and I made this much money. And then if something, like, funny happens, I kind of I tell him certain things and I leave a lot of things out just because feelings, you know? Feelings. 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 Feelings can be tricky. It can definitely be tricky. I don't know. I mean, all power to you, though. It's definitely because, again, like, you have whether it be your parents or someone looking at that stuff being like, why, why do that? It's like, you're not looking at the bigger picture. Like, you got a family to feed, right? You got your two girls. There's a lot of things that go behind it. I wouldn't, if I didn't have my kids, I wouldn't be a stripper. All right. I could work, it'd be fine, but their school schedule and being there for them is more important to me than anything. What would be your biggest message to them growing up? Because obviously when they're much older, they're going to... My mom said that. She's like, what what are you going to tell them? I'm like, I'll tell them I was a stripper. I feel like she meant that in like a negative connotation. She did. I'm just asking like straight up. She was super negative about it. Like, what are you going to tell them? Like, I'm going to tell them that I wanted to be as present as possible with my children. I didn't have that in my life. I don't feel when I was younger and I try to make up for what I didn't have growing up. So um, I'm not ashamed. At at first I'm like, oh, what are people gonna think? But no, I don't give a shit. It's my life. I'm not doing anything wrong necessarily. Um, So some people, they think it's wrong, it's not. Um, And I'm doing it, I want to be with my children. So, and I'm not going to say, I did it because of you, because I don't want to put that guilt on them, like, oh, my mom is a stripper because of me. Like, no, I did it because I love you, and I wanted to be around you, and that is what made it possible to be there and be present as a parent. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I see these moms that are struggling, single moms that are struggling. They have their kids in daycare. They work an 8 to 5 job. Yep. They never get to see their kids. You know, by the time they get home, it's 5 o'clock. It's time for dinner. Put your kids to bed. Same thing next day. Like, I was around. I got to pick my kids up from school. On half days, I was there. When they didn't have school, I was there. Like, I'm there. And I'm so grateful for that because I can't imagine being a struggling person. Have you seen that show on Netflix called Made? My roommates watch it. I, I haven't gotten around to it. I started watching it, and I cried. Like, it's real, and yeah. it's sad, and... Like, this poor mom who's struggling, she leaves a abusive relationship, and then she has to struggle. Yep. And it's sad, and I'm, I'm blessed, and I'm grateful that I was able to do this, really. I mean, you do it for your kids. You're proud of your kids, and you're proud of what you I, do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's inspiring in its own right. You don't give a, an F about what anybody thinks, it's, right? It's taken a long time to get there. I used to really care what people thought, and then... Um, I mean, you reach a certain breaking point to where it's like, who, who cares? Yeah. 
Most of the time, people aren't thinking about you anyways. Yeah. Unless they're, like, in your life, right? <laughs> yeah. No, it, a lot of people have that problem still, like, worrying about what other people think. So you said, obviously, married twice before you met Peter, right? Mm -hmm. The first husband is when you had the kids with? Mm -hmm. Where is he now? He actually lives an hour and a half away. He's in Toronto. Is he basis. still involved, the kids? Yep, he gets them four days a month. Okay. Four days a month? Four days a month. So he lost doesn't, that battle. Doesn't pay child support. Like, very, not not very there. Okay. And then your second husband, you said, is gone, though. Yep. Like, he's 20 years. He got sentenced to 20 years in prison, so uh, terminated that marriage <laughs> right after that yeah. happened. I, I can't, I unfortunately am not that woman that can stick it out that long. Right. I need a lot of things, and I couldn't get shit when you're gone for 20 years. No, and I couldn't imagine. Aborted that mission. I couldn't imagine that. <laughs> no. And then the funny thing with meeting Peter, you guys met at the gym, right? Uh-huh. And then him and his buddy bet like a maestro steak dinner yep. that he... That he could pull me, if he could pull within me. Within like 30 days. Something like that. That's hilarious. Yeah. That's yeah. hilarious. So I met Peter um, at the gym and... I guess he pulled me, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Did you like him at first? or No. Not at all? <laughs> no. I, I had um, other plans with Peter when I first met him. I had just gotten out of a relationship, and so, like, I was just fun. was coming into my mind. And uh, I got to know him, and I fell in love with him. Ooh. Yeah. Love is a dangerous game. I got to know him. So God doesn't do anything by mistake. You know, right. people get put into your life for reasons. There's a reason I met Peter. Well, I think because, again, when you guys going back and forth in the podcast that you did on Roll Call, you guys, it was like kind of weird coincidences, you know, certain traumatic experience that were going on in your life were incoincidentally happening to him in a totally different realm. Yeah, we don't, but at I the can't same say time. we have a lot in common, but we have a lot in common. Yeah. We can understand each other on a different level than a lot of people can't understand me. A lot of people don't understand him because... Unless you've been through the same tra trauma, you're never going to get it. So me and him are able to really understand each other on a deeper level because we've both been in some really fucked up places in our lives. Yeah. I mean, I, th I find it so fascinating that, like, it was kind of like a God-given thing, like pre-scripted destiny that you guys were able to meet up and actually, like, you're probably thinking, like, oh, no way. Like, you, that happened to you the same year that this happened to me. Yeah. Right? When we start talking about dates and stuff, I'm like, wow, that's interesting. I mean, two totally different, like, he, he goes away for the things that he did for 12 years, over a decade in prison. Most people aren't making it out of that stretch. Mm -mm. You, on the other hand, obviously losing three siblings, you know, dealing with your own addictions, completely different entity in its own right. You know, I, just to get into that a little bit, I don't want you to, you know, spill your guts or anything, but, you know, that's something that nine out of ten people, hopefully, for the love of God, don't go through in their lives, right? No, a lot of people won't experience loss at all. Yeah. Um, or addiction. Or any of the things I've actually been through. Um, yeah. I always go, like, why me? Yeah. And I always thought that, like, why me, why me, why me? Poor me, you know? But it's like, as I've gotten older and I've been able to look back, it's like, like I said, God doesn't do anything by mistake. And I'm in the program now of recovery, 
And my sponsor always tells me, you know, you go through these things because there's going to be a woman out there that needs you yep. because you've you've been through it and you're going to be able to help them get through it. And, you know, I start looking at things like that. Like, there is a reason I've been through all this and it's to help other people. Like, I want to get on this podcast and I want to talk about these things because I'm not the only one. I know I'm not. And so I want to be able to share it and talk about it. It's real life. It's, it's shit. Yep. It's real life. And... Um, it's hard. I mean, I think that's the greatest thing about podcasts, too, because you're actually able to hop on here and say whatever the hell you want to say in the way you want to say it, where, like, CNN could, you know, <laughs> scratch this story me. and be like, all right, this is what happened, okay? I know, like, this is what you think what happened, but this is what you're going to talk about. But this about. is what really fucking happened, let me tell you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what kind, it was, you were 10 years old, 12 years old? When my when your brother, brother died, I was ten, nine, ten, ten years old when my first brother passed. He was twenty-one, hmm. um, drinking and driving, and got in an accident. And he, he um, passed. The passenger lived. He had a seatbelt on. My brother hmm. didn't. Um, and then let's see what else. So that happened. My oldest brother Casey ended up having organ failure from drinking was in ICU for months, 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 months. Got put, um, he had a trach, a colostomy bag. They wanted to, he was on life support. They wanted to pull yeah. the plug. My mom said no. So he was there for six or seven months in ICU, unconscious. Um, while that was happening, my sister got deep into her um, addiction. My brother got better. He recovered. Don't know why, don't know how, but he did. And he was on disability, and with disability came checks for drugs, and he was on a bunch of drugs for all that had been going on with his body, and he got a, he was already an addict, but yeah. more addicted um, to those. He became homeless and chose to be homeless because he would get his disability checks, and his drugs were more important than anything else. Um, so this was all going on for years. Like I saw my siblings go through this shit. You know, I started doing drugs with my sister and, um, she kind of disappeared for a while. Yeah. She lost her kids and that, I just can't imagine. I can see how that happens, me being an addict myself, but it's just like, I cannot imagine. I can't fathom that happening, um, losing my kids. So... Uh, my grandpa killed himself, and he was married to my grandma for 63 years. I was able to see my sister when she came to his funeral, yeah. and she was, like, at her lowest point. She weighed, like, 90 pounds, looked like absolute garbage, um, had scabs all over her body. Um, and it was really hard to see my sister that way, you know? Right. Like, I always looked at my sister. I looked up to her, and she was, like, the most beautiful person in my life. And then seeing her like that, I was like, wow, that was rough. Um, and she disappeared again, and then I got a phone call from her. I had just had my oldest daughter, Poppy, and she reached out and said she was in rehab. And she sounded amazing, and it was like I got my sister back, and she would call me all the time, and then she stopped calling me and I was calling the rehabs and they're just telling me that she wasn't able to come to the phone or whatever mm -hmm. they were saying. 
And it was actually New Year's Eve, I got the phone call that my sister had passed, she had overdosed. Um, and it was an intentional, intentional overdose. She had mixed meth and heroin together and um, just a dose of one of them would have killed her. So it was an intentional overdose. She really had a hard time with losing my brother. Yeah. Um, and then shortly after that, my brother Casey died from an overdose as well. Um, and I never got to see him. I never got to see him when he was going through this. My, like, my mom had seen him. She'd picked him up from the park. My brother had picked him up from the park he was living at and helped him. But they never allowed me to see it. And they were protecting me or sheltering me. I don't know what it was. But they never allowed me to see him. And maybe that's a good thing because, yeah. you know, like I would rather have the image of how I saw him at one point in right, time right, than right. In, that, in that situation. Um, and then, um, yeah, just a lot of loss. And I've become pretty numb to, right. to loss. You know, uh, normal people, you know, that I lost my grandma. And they're like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. Right. And people are like, I lost my grandma. I'm like, shit, man, sorry. <laughs> right. I don't yeah. have that feeling, unfortunately. And it's because, I guess, all that I've been through. Do you, were you one of four then? There's five. Five. Five of us, yep. So older, younger sibling still? I am the youngest. Oh, wow. Yep. So who's... Um, so it's just me and my brother Sage left. Okay. So um, we, he's 40, how old is he now? He's 45, I believe. Um, Are you guys close? So I wasn't, we weren't close at all. And I remember crying to him about it. And he's like, we have nothing in common. You're so young. Well, then I had children and we became, we were able to relate. Yeah. And now we have a really, really good relationship. And I look up to my brother and I call him when I need him. I call him when I'm sad. I call him when I'm happy. I call him, we talk all the time. So we are all we have left. Yeah. We are all we have left. So I'm grateful for for at least him. Would you say that, you know, whether it was your brother Casey, like when he started going through his problems after, you know, your, one of your older brothers died, was it because of that he was experiencing some of that trauma yeah. and he went yeah, down to that both downward spiral? Both him and my spiral? sister went into that down, downward, downward spiral after my brother Blake had passed. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of the times when I would use, it was because I was in a, I was depressed. You know, right. a lot of people are like, oh, I'm going to go out and drink because I'm happy. Like, uh, No, no one uh, ever does that. <laughs> I'm going to go drink and get high because I'm fucking sad right now. I want to forget about the day. And, you know, it's so strange, and I don't know why I think like this, but when I would use, I'd be like, oh, my sister would be so proud of me right now. Yeah. It's so strange because that's something that we would do together, and she was always, and she had wrote multiple poems about her addiction, and it was something that she hated. Yeah. And so why would I think that she'd be proud of me for doing something like that? I don't know why I think like that. Um, but yeah, whenever I whenever I'd use, I'd always think about I always think about them. And she, you guys, she like introduced you to alcohol when you were what? Twelve 11, years old. Eleven. Jaeger. Did you did you think of Jaeger. anything of that? Like was it like? No, it was oh, my I... older sister. This is fucking cool, yeah. man. You know what? I was eleven. Uh, something had really triggered me and pissed me off and it really hurt me and my sister's like we're just gonna drink and we're gonna dress up she had stripper sh heels yeah we put stripper heels on me she did my makeup did my wow. hair had me drinking Jaeger and I was like super cool and now I look back at it I'm like what the fuck <laughs> what was happening right there <laughs> um, yeah but no I 
I, I am always curious as to why my sister had me do certain things, and it's because when you, misery loves company. Yeah. Misery loves company at the end of the day. She wanted me to do it with her because you don't want to do that stuff by yourself. No. Um, I am grateful that she never introduced me to heroin. Hmm. And I talk about it in my meetings all the time, um, that I'm grateful that nobody introduced that to me because I would have done that. Yeah. I would have said yes. Was she doing it when you were 11? She had always had a meth problem. Yeah. Um, and she started doing heroin because the pills were too expensive. Right. So when that was when I was older. So in high school, that's when she started doing heroin. Oof. Mm. I mean, I couldn't, like, what were your parents thinking through all of this? We used to hide things from my mom all the time. Yeah. So she would leave straws in my bathroom, and I'm like, I fucking have to grab it real quick and go shove it down at the bottom of my trash can in my bathroom, because I'm like, if my mom fucking found out, you know? And I'd cover for her all the time, like, I can't, I can't let my mom know what's happening. You're right. And it's like, I'm never going to rat on my sister anyways. Right. So it was one of those things. Um, my mom didn't know a lot. And now that I'm older and we talk about it, she's like, I had no idea. Like, my mom didn't even know I was an addict until this year. Until she asked me, like, why are you going to meetings? And I said, Mom, I'm, I'm sorry. And it's because I'm an addict. Mm. And she just started crying, like, why wouldn't you tell me that? And it's like, you've lost three children. Why would I tell you that? And it's another thing. Like, I'm not going to tell you something that's going to hurt you. No. Absolutely not. So, yeah, just, just honestly, like three or four months ago, I just told her, and she's like, I knew it. I knew it. There's all these times that I knew something was wrong. And she's like, I never thought you would. I never thought you'd be like that. I, I mean, I take it just from you talking about your mom. She's more, you know, kind of the tough type, rough around the edges when it comes to that stuff, as opposed to like, let's sit down, let's talk about this. Yeah, you could always come to me. Yeah, very conditional. Yeah. She's a conditional, loving woman. Hey, works one way or the other. So when she's happy with me, she loves me. When I'm doing something wrong, I, there's no love there. And so I'd rather have love than her not love me. Right. So I wouldn't tell her a lot of things. Man. I still don't. Man. So, so at what age was it when you, because you talk about like the numbness of just like, you know, you lose someone. It's like, yeah, whatever. At that point, not, yeah, whatever. But you're just like, oh man, it sucks. Move on from it. And then you get into the drug addiction side of things and you just trying to numb out any sort of feeling whatsoever. So you're asking me what age yeah. I started? Well, you know, what age was it consistent to the point where you're like, I have to do something about this? I, I started getting help two years ago. Yeah. I finally started seeing a therapist. And it was like, like overwhelming by what... I had talked about in therapy. Like, these are things that I never talked about. These are emotions that I've never felt before. These are things that I've never experienced. And she was able to, like, get those all out. And I'm like, holy shit. So I'm 27. going to be 28 this year. But 28 it took. Or 27 years old. Yeah. Until I was finally able to, like, have feelings. I still don't have feelings about a lot of things. Um, but I try to be more aware. Right. And more um, understanding, I guess. Oh, absolutely. Like, just, like, around other people or just, like, how they're feeling? Yeah. Uh, yep. When you work your steps in the program, um, you start, you have to see your part. Oh, yeah. And things. And so I would sit there and be like, well, this person did this and this and this and this and fuck them. 
and in the program you have to see what your part was. Mm. And my part is I have, um, I, I am judgmental and I have expectations that will probably never be met with some things and that's my problem. Right. So I can't judge somebody by what they're going through and how they deal with it by like how I would deal with it. They haven't gone through what I've gone through, so, but I can't exactly. judge them for not being tough like that. So yeah, I've been able to learn and, and see what my part is on everything. And it's very interesting when you start doing that, you know? Oh my God. It's very, very interesting. It's very overwhelming. Did you have a tough time at first talking to a therapist or were you open day one? Like, okay, this is their job. No. Was it tough? It was tough. It was tough. And she'd be like, well, what does that mean for you? Or how does that make you feel? Or obviously, how does that make you feel? But um, she made me like really think. Yeah. She wouldn't ever put words in my mouth like, well, you feel this way. It was like, she made me really sit and think about if it was anger. Like there's underlying layers to anger. And it's oh, like, yeah. well, if you're angry, but what is, what's underneath that? And it's like, Ugh. Things your brain doesn't even think yeah, of, right? Yeah, I didn't even think about that. So there, she says there's an iceberg, so what you see on the top. But underneath uh, the bottom and under the water is all these feelings. And it's like, oh, instead of saying I'm angry, it's like uh, I'm disappointed, I'm frustrated, I'm disgusted. Like all these other words that come with it. And it's like, wow. So now when I say I'm mad about something or I'm sad, it's like no, I'm, th I'm these feelings. Yeah. And I've never... I've never experienced that until recent. What was the biggest thing that you learned about yourself through therapy that you thought like, oh, this is why I'm angry. This is why I'm disappointed. Like you're like you just said, like it was like the iceberg of things that you knew going in. But then you got kind of unraveled and unveiled other things that your brain didn't kind of wrap your head around. Uh, I think the biggest thing I've learned about myself is how strong I actually am mentally. Yeah. You know, I thought I was just this weak person, and it's not. And she always said, she always told me, like, you have been through so much, and how okay you're actually doing is mind-boggling, um, because a lot of people wouldn't be able to handle it. Yeah. And she's like, you're just so strong, and you're overcoming so much. And I just, I guess, I realize how strong I actually am, and I don't give myself enough credit. Yeah. I don't. I'm so hard on myself, and I. I had somebody, do you know Emily Hayden? Yeah. Okay. First form, right? First form. And evolved with Emily. Anyway, she's, she came to visit us in town, and I was just not in a good place. She came to visit, and I had to pull her to the side, and I said I had to apologize for my behavior because I know I'm doing it, and so I'm going to apologize when I can see what I'm doing. Um, and so I apologize, like, I'm sorry for my behavior. This is where I'm at. And she's like, let's go meditate. <laughs> So we went outside and we like meditated together and she's like, I want you to tell me what you love about yourself. And I just broke down crying because like I've never been able to sit there and say I love myself ever. I and that was really hard. I just I realized that yeah. I don't love myself. And so now that I was able to say that out loud and actually see that and hear it, it's like, well, I want to love myself. So now what steps am I going to take to get me there? Mm. And so now I'm like, I'm going to start doing things for myself. Like we were talking about, like yeah. I'm going to start doing things for myself and I'm going to love myself again. 
you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, I feel like that is, I mean, it's obviously the number one thing to do in the world, but it's so difficult. Like you said, whether it's just like, I don't love myself or you just think oh, I could do so much more, like I haven't done enough. And you kind of just, your brain just turns on yeah, you. Yeah, and there's things that I will jump up instantly to go do. And then there's things that I'm not going to do. And mm-hmm. it's like, and then I, I need to be able to see why. Like, why am I not going to jump up and do that? Like, there's something there that's causing me to stop. So what is it? What are those things? Um, so I've been trying to dig a lot deeper into like feelings and a lot of things. Uh, I actually was just diagnosed with a mood disorder. So they're telling me I'm bipolar, um, and that was really fucking hard to hear. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I thought I just gone through so much trauma that I just worked this way. And it's like, no, maybe there is something chemically wrong in my brain that. I feel these things, or maybe they're, you know? So um, hearing that, there's just so much that came with that. It was overwhelming, and like, now I wanna like learn who I am, and what's making me be triggered, and what's making me tick. Like, what is it? And it gets really fucking deep, really deep when you sit there and start going into it like that. A lot of people are very superficial. Oh, yeah. You know, like, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm, I'm not going to talk about things, like, this is, my life is great, and I'm like, no, I'm going to talk about it. Like, I took a break from social media for, I think it was like 30 days, and I was As like... As everyone should. I'm, I'm, I'm going to take a break, it's not bringing peace into my life, and I'm going to yeah. remove it, and when I got back on, I was like, you know what, I'm going to get back on, and I'm going to share, like, the real honest and raw me. I've always been pretty real, but, like, I'm going to really get down deep into that one. And mm. so, like, my first post was, like, I, I was, like, hi, I'm Hannah. And then I went off on all of my character defects. Like, I'm selfish, self-seeking, manipulative. Like, I went off. And I was, like, wouldn't it be great if we could all be like that? Right. Ugh. How long did it take for uh, you to finally say, like, all right, I want to share my message to, like, a worldwide audience, like, to hop on a podcast and tell the well, stuff that you share? I think it was when I started going to meetings and yeah. like meeting Peter and he talks about it all the time like so you're only helping it. people you think like people are gonna be like oh my god you went through that yeah and but it's like when I would go to my meetings I wouldn't want to share and my sponsor's like you know when you share she's like there's somebody in the room that needs to hear it and she's like I might I might share something and they can't hear what I'm trying to say but the minute you open your mouth it's gonna click and they're gonna hear what you have to say she's like so stop holding back on that even if you can reach one person, you're going to help that one person. Yeah. And I'm like, you're right. And I never talked about, like, my my losses. I've never talked about my life. I never did that because I felt like it was, I don't know. I don't want to be, like, a pity party, I guess. That's how I felt. Oh, yeah. Like, well, me, but it's not, it's not like that now. You know, like, I don't know. I talked about my miscarriages. I talked about stripping. And I had... So many women reach out and like, wow, thank you for talking about that because it never gets talked about. I've been through miscarriages. I've, I was a stripper for a couple of days. Like, and so I had all these women reach out. I'm like, oh, you see what can happen when you fucking open your mouth? Yep. Everybody comes out of the woodworks. Everybody yeah. goes through and similar, similar stuff. People. And it's helping them. So what would you say? Because I think it's a very important thing there's a lot of people out there like you said whether they know they need help and they're just like i don't want to bother anybody with my my stuff or people who need it and they don't even realize it they're just like i'm fine like i don't need to talk about anything how important is it um for you specifically to go to therapy and kind of unravel these things and you know a ton of people in your life that 
could probably benefit from it. I think everybody, everybody. in the world can benefit from therapy. Everybody. Um, me and Peter go to couples therapy together. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely need it. Um, if I didn't seek help, I don't know where I would be. Yeah. And that's with everything. Like, my addiction would be running rampant. Um, I wouldn't be in a good relationship. I wouldn't have people in my life. Like, I, I don't even know where I would be if I wasn't able to, like, release these feelings and get to the bottom of the way I feel and the reasons why. And it's important, and there's nothing to be ashamed of when you get help. Like, why? Why be ashamed of saying, you know what? I'm throwing in the towel. I need fucking help. You know, I was a, I, I've got a therapist, a couples therapist, and a psychiatrist, and a sponsor. Okay, there's four major people in my life that I turn to all the time because I need fucking help. I do. Yep. Um, and mental health is huge. Mental health is a very big thing. Um, I've been suicidal. I've been depressed. I have PTSD. I have panic disorder. I have anxiety. I have all these things. And if I didn't ask for help, like I said, I don't know where I would be. Mm -hmm. I don't know where I would be. You don't think you, um, just talking about your mom for a little bit, you don't think she'd be someone that you could go to that stuff for? Like, obviously growing up, My no, but like now? My mom has been through so much trauma herself. Yeah. She's been married four times. She was abused by one of her husbands. Um, he abused all of her kids. Um, my mom has been through so much, and she has such great advice. She does. She's been through so much, so when something is wrong, she's able to give that to me because she's experienced it. But... It's like one of those things where I'm so stubborn, I don't want to hear it from you. Yeah. I need to hear it from an outside source. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and me and my mom, we don't have the greatest relationship. It's really rocky and it's really hard. And, um, you know, I learned in therapy to how to have boundaries with people. And I never had boundaries with my mom until therapy. And so I was able to establish these healthy boundaries, like, she would project things onto me and I, now it's like well you're no longer going to do that to me anymore you're no longer going to say things that hurt me you're no longer going to make me feel this certain way by the things that you say the actions that are directed towards me yep. and so I was able to create that um, so having my mom I've had to I've had to like mourn the loss of a, a relationship or the mother that I'm never going to have you know like mm. there's a there's this type of mom that I want and I'm never going to get it. Mm -hmm. And that's where my sponsor comes into play. My sponsor's like my mom. And I can tell her things and she loves me unconditionally. And it's like, see, God's going to give you other people that aren't going to fit. You know, God's going to give you these people that you are lacking, I guess. I should yeah. Say. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's such a difficult thing to finally except to when it comes to you know your own mother accepting the fact that she's not going to be who you want her to be mm -hmm. but you also have other people in your life that love you unconditionally at the same time yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. i mean that's and, and again it comes from opening up right like if you had never opened up you'd just be living in that shell of, and i'd keep having these unrealistic expectations of my mom and you know like i'd keep setting myself up for failure like, oh there she goes again no it's like no you're just not going to be this person to me so mm. now that I've accepted it, it's going to make my life so much easier. Oh, my God. 100%. And what about um, your brother now? Is, is he um, 
you know, seek help with any of this stuff? Because obviously you guys have that so, shared trauma. It's so funny. In high school, my anxiety started. So freshman year, yeah. I got put on antidepressants because my anxiety was so bad. And I would tell him, and I'd tell him about it. He's like, it's just in your head. It's just in your head. Um, I think four or five years ago, he finally called me, and he broke down. He's like, I am so sorry for saying that because he had anxiety. Like, he yeah. had his first panic oh, yeah. attack, and he went through it. And he actually sees a therapist now, and um, him, his wife sees a therapist, and his boys see a therapist. So, like, the whole family is seeing therapy. I'm actually getting my 8-year-old put um, into therapy. She sees a school counselor, and we both made a decision, like, she needs therapy, too. Because they're going to give us tools, tools that I don't know, tools that my brother doesn't know. So he gets help. Um, he... He uh, he's doing really well. His he has this huge business. Um, it's taken off. He's got lots of lots of employees. He's doing yep. very very well for himself. Um, so I'm proud of him. I'm proud oh, yeah. for him. Oh my God! 100%. That he's been able to take his situation and turn it into something so amazing. Right. I mean, you can go one of two ways, right? You can either go downhill or you can go uphill. I mean, it's your choice at the end of the day. It's all about choices. It is. It's all about choices. I could be a fucking shitty person if if I wanted to make those choices to be that person, but there's a certain person and a certain woman that I want to be, Yeah. and I'm going to take certain steps to be this woman. Does uh, your daughter like going to therapy, or is she kind of like, I don't need she, this mom? She kind of gets excited about it. Really? And she goes, I'm going to go to, I'm going to see my uh, counselor today. I'm like, okay. And so she gets home, and she brought she brings me what they talked about. It's like a paper and we talk about it because I want That's her to good. be able to tell me things. I feel like she kind of doesn't. She's so worried about my feelings. She's like, are you okay, Mom? Are you okay? She always asks me if I'm okay. I'm like, even if I wasn't okay, it's, it's, it has nothing to do with you. And I don't want you to feel like it's your problem. Like, me not being okay is not your problem. You are eight years old and you need to just worry about yourself. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think it's going to be really good for her because she's a worry war. I think she's already getting like little peaks of anxiety for some right. reason. And she's been through a lot. Naturally. She's been through a lot herself. She sees me go through a lot, you know. And I've always been honest with my kids. And so, like, I'll break down and cry. And they ask me what's wrong. And I tell them, like, I'm not okay right now. I'm sad and or I'm angry. And I show them the feelings. Mm-hmm. I think I, I think. People need to see those things. Would you say that they're very curious at a young age? Oh, yeah. They want to know a lot of things. Just asking a ton of they're questions. They're really smart, though. Sometimes yeah. you don't even have to explain anything. They already know. They're very intuitive. And they're just smart like that. Well, here's a fun question. How are they with Peter? They love Peter. They love Peter. Um, my eight-year-old is very opinionated. And so... Um, <laughs> We struggle with parenting, co-parenting, I guess. Peter's never had children before, so it's it's kind of comical sometimes. <laughs> like, he says things, and I'm like, okay, but you don't even have fucking kids. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> so what? Um, and there's people like that everywhere. They're yeah. like, yeah, you should do it this way. It's like, you have no experience yeah, in this expertise. Yeah, I used to be that person. Like, I'm never going to let my kids do this. And then I had kids, and I'm like, yeah, that went out the door. Yep. Um, so we do have a hard time co-parenting. And it's only because he thinks that parenting should be one way. And I've been a single parent forever, yep. forever. Um, 
And so I'm just stuck in my ways. Like, and I do need to learn how to be a little, like, back off and be like, okay, this is a team effort. And sometimes it's hard. And then she sees me get frustrated, my eight-year-old. And then, like, Peter tells her, like, not to do certain things. So then she kind of holds, like, a grudge against him. Mm. And I have to, like, explain to her, like, hey, <laughs> we can't be like right, that. Right, right. Uh, but they, they love him. They adore him. They do, and my youngest started calling him daddy. Oh, nice. She's like, can I call him daddy? And I'm like, you can call him whatever you want. You can call him whatever. You can call him teddy bear if you want to. Like, whatever it is <laughs> that you in your heart want to call him. Like, I don't put, I don't set them up for that. No. You know, like, it's what, it's what they want. And they can feel about him how they want to feel about him. Like, I'm not going to put words in their mouth, and I'm not going to be like, well, you have to be like this towards him. Like, no, you're a child, and... Oh my God! Yeah. Was that something that he ever thought about doing, like being a dad one day, having a family? I know I you. I know you asked that. him about that. I did ask him about that. He said he'd never really thought about it. Um, and then, actually, a couple months after seeing each other and, and dating, because uh, we met in November, December, he's like, "Would you have babies with me?" And I was like, uh, "Like, I already have two. <laughs> I would. I would have loved to have another baby, but." You know, I was never in the spot to have another one. But now my kids are older. And so January came around. He's like, so that's three months of knowing each other. He wanted to have a baby. Yeah. Uh, we got, and then we got pregnant really fast. Um, and I was kind of just like, Lord, like, yeah. if this is your will. Um, but, yeah, he, we want to have babies still. It's just not the right time right, right now. Um, of course not. I've been through two losses and... I'm, I need like emotionally to recover. I can't. I can't go through another loss like that. It's just. It's one of those losses that I actually have to feel and endure. Mm -hmm. Like with my losses of my siblings and my family, I can kind of put that on the back burner. I don't have to deal with it. With losing a baby, you have to feel like your body has to go through losing a child. It's like I kind of have to deal with it. I can't just put it on the back burner. It's just happening. Like, here we go. You know. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I had to mourn those babies. Mm. Well, well, you're 27, 28. Gonna be 28. April. Gonna be 20. I mean, you got plenty of time. I got lots of time. But what I do they say? Think, like, but I always think like my my girls are gonna. I got six and eight year olds. They're just gonna get older. But then if you look at it, like, well, they'll be able to help me. Come full circle. I mean, you were <laughs> how many years apart from your older siblings? Pretty old. Right. Or pretty pretty separated. Yeah. My mom got pregnant with me when my youngest brother was 13. So 13 years, Ugh. and then my oldest brother, um, we were 20 years exact apart. 20. So I guess it, it doesn't really matter. No, I have a buddy whose siblings are in their 50s. He's a year younger than I am, which is crazy to think about. He was like a miracle child. Wow. So his parents had him at like late 40s, something that yeah. is unheard of. It's hard for me because... Um, I've like my body has like is now this body that like I love. Yeah. And then um, when he asked to get pregnant, I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've had my Why boobs are we going done. To the like gym? I, I I finished having babies and I went and got my boobs done and like I got my body this way that I want. And then now oh, I'm gonna ruin it again. Um, but I, yeah, I'm fine. How important is fitness right now? Because Peter's bulking up from what I've seen. You guys go to the gym all the time. I'm a, I'm a certified personal trainer. Okay. I don't know if you knew that. But um, fitness is very important. It, the mental health and the way you feel about yourself is huge. Yeah. So I was overweight. 
I was overweight. I was 50 pounds overweight at one point of time, and then I was underweight at one point of time. So my body's been back and forth on the spectrum, and it's important because I know how I felt when I was overweight. I know what I thought about myself and how I looked at myself, and I don't want to feel like that. So it's very important. I mean, I feel like that's something that you can... If you get that out of the way, if you're feeling right physically, the mental stuff comes after that. Because if you're not feeling right physically, everything falls no, apart. and it's not to be, like, superficial. Like I say, I'm vain. But, like, right. the way I look makes me feel a certain way. Yep. You know, and that's for everybody. It's a natural human thing. Oh, yeah. Um, it's important. So to kind of go back on the subject of, you know, you kind of overcoming some of your addictions, having a sponsor, having a good support group, how how many of those people, whether it be in a meeting or a specific sponsor, are those people like family to you? Or are there some that are kind of distant? No. How does that work? Maybe it's just um, luck. Yeah. It, it's not luck. It's God. But... Um, the meetings that I go to, the meeting I go to, I go every morning. It's a 6.30 meeting. Um, and it's a, the same group of people that go. And I, when I walk into that room, there is so much love. And you can just feel it. There's yeah. so much love. We have our own WhatsApp group. So all of us text throughout the day. We send pictures of what we're doing. It's this huge thing. Um, we have, separate from the meetings, we'll have, like, uh, we had a game night. So, like, we all went over to oh, that's nice. one of the guy's house and we did barbecue and game night and it's just a huge family so it's like I've 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 gotten a new family yeah that I've had been missing my whole life and so it's all these people that love me unconditionally and we all can relate because we're all fucked up yeah we're all addicts so like I'm like oh, I'm a stripper well they're like well I got fucking arrested for doing this and that I'm like oh there you go. <laughs> you there's know? like no holds barred. Like, yeah, there's you like, did that? Like, huh, I, thought, I did some 10 I times worse. I thought my shit was bad until I went to meetings, and I'm like, oh, their shit's fucking bad. My rock bottom doesn't even compare to their rock bottom. I'm like, what? So um, I love that because you can't have judgment in your friendships or your relationships. Like, you just can't because it's never going to work if you have that judgment. No. So it's very freeing, and I feel very, very blessed. I feel beyond blessed to have group of people i do i love them i love them so much unconditionally now you i mean you were talking a little bit before you said you relapsed in december right mm -hmm. and when it comes to other people in your group i'm sure everybody hits a certain rock bottom or like you know temptation to do something like what's the kind of protocol like how do you support one another when stuff like that happens so i did it when i relapsed so i have my sponsor i call her with everything i tell her when i'm having a problem i got really upset and this is where, like, my mood disorder comes into play. It all makes sense to me now that this is going on. But um, I've been snappy lately. And so something triggered me. I snapped, and I threw my phone. I've never thrown my phone in my life. Threw my phone, shattered it. Okay, well, now I don't have a phone. The next day, I get triggered so bad that I want to go drink. And normally, I'm not, like, alcohol is my gateway drug. Like, I am a pill person. I like drugs. I like getting high. Um, but... I didn't have my phone, and I can't reach out to the drug right. <laughs> So right. I could go get alcohol, though, because that's right down the street. So instead of being able to call my sponsor and be like, hey, I want to go drink right now, because she can talk me off the ledge, or these people. If she doesn't answer, I'm going to call another woman in the program, and she's going to talk me off the ledge. Yeah. Well, I, I kind of 
lost that connection to reach those people. I threw my phone, I broke it, I didn't have anybody's number, I don't know where they live, so I went and relapsed. Um, so normally, when you're having these feelings, you have to pick up the phone and be honest. Like, hey, I feel like this right now, and they're gonna be like, oh, sweetie, that's fine. Like, I felt like that the other day. It's normal. It's normal to have these feelings, but you have to talk about it. Yeah. And if you don't talk about it, you seclude yourself, and then you end up relapsing. And that's what I did. I made it so where I was secluded, and I couldn't reach out when I needed it, and so I relapsed. See, and, and, and then you tell them, and they're not like, oh, that's shitty. I can't talk to you. You know, they're like, oh, yeah, hey, I've right. done that a million times, and welcome back. I mean, have they told you any stories of them? Oh, Whether yeah. It be we, like... we, tell, we talk stories all the time. All the time. There's... Even my sponsor, she's like, she's like, God put you in my life because you are me. Right. Like, I'm her. What she, everything she's been through, I'm going through it right now. Like, there's nothing you can do that's going to scare yeah. me away. No. And like I said, I thought my rock bottom's bad until I hear what these people talk about. I'm like, oh, you're right. Like, they share real stuff. Like my life, about their yeah. struggles, about their divorces, about their like being cheated on or cheating or stealing, whatever it is, they talk about it. So it's like there is no judgment there. And you said it was just like an anxiety attack, like you threw your phone. What was the um, the, the stress point there? My relationship. Okay. <laughs> it was a, something that triggered me, and I just snapped. I just lit in our. I was standing in my bedroom, and our shower is all stone. Yeah. And I just chucked my phone up the stone, and it shattered. And I was like, <laughs> it felt so good to, when it left my hands, but as soon as I heard it hit the wall, I was like, that was not. <laughs> that that not one ain't coming back. No, damn it. And then I had to go get a new phone. and uh, No contacts or anything? You had to, like, restore it? Everything. I didn't yeah. have pictures. I didn't have text messages. I didn't have anything. Like, I, I, didn't, I don't back up my iPhone. I never back it up because I'm not going to pay for Apple. Anyways, yeah, I, and I was like, was it worth it? No. Was it worth it to relapse? No. No. No, no, that's worth it. At that time it was, but nothing gets fixed. Well, Me throwing happened, my phone right? doesn't fix anything. Me relapsing doesn't fix anything. My feelings are still there. Nothing changed. I just made myself feel like a bigger piece of shit, you know? Do you feel like you had to in that sense, like looking back at it, like were you kind of like in cruise control, like things are going great right now when it comes to that stuff, and then all of a sudden it's like, up, oh, feel like shit again. But like looking back, maybe I needed that push in order to finally get over that hump. Yeah, nothing happens by mistake. Yeah. There's a reason I, this happened because, you know, like, I don't know. I always say that nothing happens by mistake. There's a reason I had to go through that because now I can see my part. Exactly. And now I can fix it. So you talked a bit, little bit about possibly starting your own show. I would any love any to. ideas on that, or is that kind no, of just like you know? In the I air? have this um, at first, you know, because Peter's is roll call a chappy, and it's like about prison. And I was like, I should call mine like the new sheriff in town. <laughs> and he flipped the fuck out. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> no, like that's insinuating the new sheriff that. In town, yeah, huh? he's like, that's like insinuating that, like you're the, the shot caller and all that. Right, and I'm like, it's right, not, right, it's, right. it's just clever. It's funny. Um, I don't even know, but I, I would love to go that route. Would you, would you have any like guests in mind? Just like, whether it be like your sponsor, people that you've interacted with? No, it would with? probably be people that have been through shit. Yeah. And I don't Absolutely. care about like, you know, like a lot of people reach out because they have a big social media following. Like, I don't, 
I don't care about that shit. I don't give a fuck if you have 100,000 followers. I don't give a That's fuck. That's a huge misconception in I don't world. give a fuck. What are you going to fucking, like... Right. What are you... How are you going to help other people, I guess? So, it, I would interview a homeless person. Like, how interesting would that be? I would love that, because that shit's fucking real. So, yeah, when I think about having a podcast, like, I want to talk about real nasty stuff. The stuff that people don't talk about. Like, um... Who is it? Um... Uh, Call her daddy. Oh, uh, well, there's Sophia Franklin, but then that was her counterpart. She does her own thing now. Well, they have their own thing, I, but they talk about... The barstool chick, yeah. They talk about sex and stuff. Like, Correct. we love hearing that. Well, I want to talk about... Number Ev. two podcast in the world, too. Is it? Right? Well, I want to talk about everything. Emotional, health, you know, mental health, um, like all that stuff. I want to talk about all of it. Oh, my God. I mean, th- with my show, it's literally... Anything. Like, I want to talk to everybody. Uh-huh. I love, like, storytelling's my passion. I want to get to know everybody. Yeah. Where it's like, uh, th- like, what's your dynamic? Like, who's, everybody's story is who's so your demographic? It's I'm different. like, I don't know. Yeah. I just like having conversations anybody? with people. Yeah. yeah. Like, we're like, Peter, obviously, he has his niche. He has his message that he wants to get out there through his own experiences and mm-hmm. can interact with people that have gone through similar stuff. Where it's like, you could just go off the rails and talk about whatever you want. Where, like, your niche could be, you know, mental health, wellness, you know, just through the experiences that you've been through. Like you said, like, having a homeless person on, I'd watch that right off yeah. the bat. Do cool? you imagine? Yeah. I mean, I don't know what would happen. They might just get up halfway through the interview and just be triggered to do something else. Who knows? But. Who knows? But, like, and anybody, anybody. And it, I don't even want it to be about a following. Like, I want it to be about just being real. Mm. I don't care that, like I said... No, I I think that's the biggest misconception in the world today. Because like you look at someone's account, they'd be like, "Oh, they have X amount of followers, three hundred thousand followers." Like that could get us great exposure if we have them on the show, right? And I'm like, "Yeah," but at the same time, are they going to talk about anything remotely interesting? No, most likely, right? (laughs) No. Most people with amazing stories aren't on Instagram twenty hours of the day posting clips, right? Yeah. They're all over the place doing whatever the hell they want to do. Out there spreading a far more important message than anybody could even fathom. Yeah, it's true. I I think that's such, probably the biggest misconception in the world today of of social media. Social media, it it kind of makes you like, kind of puts this... It's like we walk around with stars above our head, yeah. you know, like five stars. Like if you've got a lot of followers, you're five star. But if you only got a couple hundred, like you're one star. You know, right. kind of like it, it's like high school all over uh, again. It's yeah. like the popular kids, the horrible. geeks, the jocks. That's why I left it because I'm like, this is bullshit. Yeah. How long? You said like a month. Yeah, it was a month. Was it like a cool detox? And I had detox, done this before. Or? Honestly, um, the last time I took a break, and I took a break for a couple years. Um, after my ex-husband got sentenced, I just like got off and never went back on until I met Peter. Um, but I tripped on mushrooms, mm. and I had like this out of body, out of mind experience of what I thought about life. And I was like, I don't want fucking social media ever again. <laughs> so I got rid of it for a couple of years. Wow. Yeah. Jeez. And then I came back, and people were like, Whoa, what happened to you? I thought you died. <laughs> What is that experience like then? What? Tripping on mushrooms. Like, what is, is that? that? Is like what goes on in your brain? Uh, I can't. I, I don't. You don't even remember? <laughs> no, I. I mean, it's so deep. Yeah. 
It's Does it like so open deep. up like a different side of your brain? Like, like you see things like that aren't there. It's like a different dimension. Like you go into this completely different place. I don't know. It's different for everybody. Right. I can't say what you what happened to you if you tripped on mushrooms. I know what happens to me. I get super deep. But the last time I tripped, it was the worst trip of my life. I had a panic attack, the entire trip, hours, straight panic attack. I couldn't breathe. I was like, oh my gosh, we should call nine one one. Like what is nine? What is the fucking ambulance gonna do? I'm on mushrooms. Yeah. What are you going to do? So, yeah, worst trip ever. I didn't do mushrooms after that. It was horrible. What did you see exactly? Was it anything? It was just a, a panic attack. Like, yeah. uh, I don't know. Have you ever had a panic attack? Oh, yeah. Like, you know what's going on. Well, like, I couldn't just, breathe. Like, I couldn't right. catch my breath. I was dying. When I have panic attacks, it's my PTSD comes out. I have this fear of dying. And so, during this trip, I'm like, I'm dying. The whole time, I thought I was dying. And then everybody's faces were just, like, scary. It was a scary trip. It wasn't a happy one. Like, the other times I've tripped, it's been fun and happy and lighthearted and, like, great. And this one was, like, evil. It was horrible. I, I, yeah, literally could not even imagine. (laughs) I remember, like, they say, like, acid can open up, like, a certain side of your brain. You see, like, dead relatives. And it's like, huh? As much as I love drugs, I'm too afraid to do acid. I'm afraid... I'm afraid of that. Yeah. Of not being able to, like, at least, like, on Percocet and shit, I could come out of that one. But, like, acid. I love Molly. That's still different. What does Molly do? Uh, Molly is, like, it's, it's like a it's like a body high. Like, a sensation, the feel feelings of things. Um, it's just, like, I don't know how to explain it. But it... It's feelings. Yeah. So love and feelings, a touch of things, and your body is tingly, and music, it, like, reaches you differently. It's, like, Mm, music reaches you, like, spiritually. It's so strange. Uh, But, like, when you trip on mind-altering things like that, I don't know. It can be scary. Yeah, so I haven't tripped on much. What was the one uh, drug that you and Peter were talking about? It was like something as simple as like Adderall or something, kind of having almost the same type of yeah, Adderall dopamine is as same, heroin, right? It is the same as meth. Oh my god! I, really? And, and when no, I was dancing, no one ever says that. And when I was dancing, I would be on cocaine, Adderall, and I'd be fucking drinking. And it wasn't just like mm. a couple bumps. Like I was bumping it all night with the cocaine, yeah. and like, how did my heart not stop? How did it not, like, beat out and kill me? Um, yeah, so Adderall is the same as meh. I can't, like, the, no, I mean, no. obviously nobody promotes I mean, it that. Works, but it works for people that have ADHD because it has a different effect, so it's going to calm them down. But for us, I don't have ADHD, so it's going to fucking spike me up, make me high. Right. Like, I'm, like, wigged out. I like that feeling. And the second you figure <laughs> out that it's very similar to heroin, heroin's obviously a lot cheaper. Mm-hmm. And people get hooked. Like I said, if someone would have offered it, I would have said yes. I really would have. There's a reason I nobody offered me. Like I would, you know. Uh, I mean, tell me if this is uh, a weird question or not. But you know, there's as no a mother now, questions. right? There's no weird like questions for me. Ten, not even maybe five years down the road with your kids, and you. Would you be able to tell the signs if they were getting into similar stuff that you got into? Yeah. You know, it all starts with, I think, drinking and and weed, really. That's what it started with for me. 
I don't know anybody that's gone from doing nothing to like straight heroin. Like, right. it doesn't work like that. You have your gateway drugs that are going to get you there. But like alcohol and pot, for example. I always like, talk about this because I'm like, what am I going to do? Right. What, I don't want to enable. I don't want them to think it's okay. But I also don't want them to sneak and go get fucked up at their friend's well, let's house. Let's say like best but case scenario with like alcohol. I don't want them at my house drinking. Yeah. Like, what, where do I stand? And I guess... I'm never going to know until I get to that point. That's when I'll be oh, able right. to make my choice is like when I get there. Because I, I don't even know right now. I think about it all the time, actually. <laughs> oh, I, I couldn't. Again, like I could only imagine what <laughs> Peter dating, would do, I right? always think about dating like, oh, man. Oh, that's going to be rough. Yeah. That'll be fun. Boys, that's like, what everyone says. All parents say. I know. I'm just like, I, I, that's, those are the two things I always think about. Like, what am I going to do? <laughs> There's only one way to find out, I, I guess. Yeah, just do it. Oh, my God. You want to make sure they're with the right guy. I feel like best case scenario, sneaking around like a handle of something or like something in the alcohol world is best case scenario. Just like anybody does that, right? Anybody gets into that. People experiment, right? Yeah, and I know that I'll have to show them grace because I did it. I guess I just want them to know that my mom always taught me there's a consequence for every action, whether it's good or bad. Yeah. And I guess that's the only thing I can tell them, like, if you're going to go drink, there's a consequence for it. It, it. Who knows what it is? Like, I, in high school, I drank, and then somebody gave me something, and I don't even remember what it was, and I blacked out, and I woke up, and I was laying in my own vomit, and my pants were unbuttoned and unzipped and pulled half, like, down. And I don't remember anything. So there's consequences. Like, yes, I drank, but it led to who knows what the fuck happened. And that's with everything. Right. Yeah. So you've gotten to those points where you're like, you don't even remember what happened? Yeah. The night before? Yep. Mm. Yeah. Um, older, like, in my addiction later on, um, that was in high school. So, of course, you're, like, pushing your limits and right, seeing what right, you're capable right. of. Um, but I, as I got older, like... I never, I've ne- I haven't blacked out in years and years and years. And then, like, in the meetings, they talk about how they black out all the time. I'm like, I never got like that. Maybe it's because I did cocaine all the time and that, like, evened it out. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I never, I always put myself in really fucked up situations. Like, how am I alive? But, yeah, I, I, it's been years since I've blacked out. Mm. I, I, the other interesting thing that you were talking about on the first podcast that you did with Peter was how you not necessarily knew how your sister felt, but you had times where when you were going through your own addiction where you felt like, was this what she was feeling? Yep, there was. And that, that scared you. There was, um, yes, yes. There was one time in particular where I took too much um, and everything went black. And I... Was like I went into my bedroom for a second, and that's when it happened. And I, and I stopped breathing, and I had to feel my way down the hallway because I couldn't see. Everything was black. Yeah. And I got out to the living room, and I was like, "Call fucking 911." Like that's all I could say. And they're like, "Holy shit!" And my friend, my girlfriend, she's like, "You need to like, you need to lay down." And I was like, "I couldn't say anything. I was dying." Yep. What do you mean I need to lay down? Like, no, you need to call 911. I'm fucking dying. She's like, you need to lay down and ground yourself. And um, I laid down, and she's like, well, you smell, taste, hear, feel, whatever. See? And 
um, I was able to catch my breath, and that's what was happening, is I was stopped breathing. And so when I'd ground myself, I had to breathe. And it kept happening all through the night, and all I could think about was like, I thought I was overdosing. Maybe, I don't know. I don't know, but yeah, it raced through my mind like my mom, my yeah. children, and my sister. Those are the only things that were going through my mind is like, is that how she felt when she was dying? And I asked Peter, because I never did meth or heroin, and he's overdosed, and I was like, what did my sister feel when she died? Like, what did she feel? And he's like, her heart just stopped. Like, she didn't feel anything. She just stopped. And that, it's just hard to think about. Oh, yeah. You know, like, what did she feel? What, like, what was that process? And I'm never going to know. It's none of my business. Right. But your brain still correlated, like, that feeling of, like, yeah. this is not good. I was dying. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, that's what I thought. And that's, yeah, it was scary. Did you go to the hospital no, that night, or was it I just... No, I didn't. I didn't go to the hospital. Oh, wow. I kept having to ground myself. I had to lay on the ground. I laid out, actually, on my balcony with a blanket over me, and um, I just kept... My friend sat there for hours and hours and hours, and I like my whole body was just moving and twitching, and she just like I'd start turning blue, and the same thing would happen. She's like, "Okay, what do you hear? What do you smell? What do you taste? What do you see?" And, and then it would bring me back, and then you know, a couple of minutes later, the same thing, and over it, though it was horrible. Ugh. It was horrible, and yeah, it was. Ugh. Yeah, it was horrible. <laughs> I I, traumatic. I mean, to say the least, with everything that you got going on and moving forward, like what, obviously with a, you know, possibility of a podcast down the road, don't want to put that pressure on you, but you know, everything going back to work too, like what's kind of like the biggest message that you have to people out there that you're looking to not just like inspire, but people that are looking for help um, out there that have gone through not similar things, but like-minded things that you went through. What's your biggest message of My encouragement to them? My biggest message is that you're not alone. Yeah. You're not alone. And as long as you're making the steps and taking the steps, you're going to get through it. But you have to be, you have to be open-minded and willing to make those steps in order for you to get anywhere. Because if you stay stagnant, you're going to stay there. And, and you, you can't be afraid to look at your part. You have to look at your part in things. Your life may be shit, but what is it that you're doing to make it that way? You know, I, I have to look at my part all the time. I'm fighting with somebody. Okay, they were an asshole to me. Okay, but what did I do? Yeah. What did I do to instigate that? Or what was my part? And so I guess that is it. Like, you're not alone. You can get through it, but it's all on you. On if, you, if you're going to do that or not. Right. Did you read any books or podcasts Mm-mm. related to any of that, or is it just based on what you've experienced? Experience. And- I do. I should start reading. I would probably get so much, so much out of that. I'd probably be able to speak a lot better. Right. I mean, there's <laughs> like I certain people, that. right? Um, but no, I haven't. I haven't listened to anything. I've listened to not Call even Dad- Emily's. I've listened to Call Her Daddy a couple times. <laughs> uh, and no, I, I haven't listened to Emily's like a full podcast of hers. I've listened to like bits and pieces. Yeah. What about, uh, why am I blanking on his name, Brad Lee? No, I've never listened to anything. Really? None of it. I don't know. I think you'd like a lot of it. 
Especially if you're able to find like certain things that you could take away from your own experiences. Mm-hmm. It could be eye-opening be like, oh, that's a really cool experience. You know, then... I get a lot out of meeting people. Yeah. Um, so listening to a podcast, I guess, I have to be in a certain state of mind to like absorb anything out of that one. But if I'm out and I meet people, that's where I get a lot of shit from. You right. meet some interesting people out there. And, and I used to be so shy, but I put that guard down. And I'm able to like talk and just like really absorb a lot from people because I'm in the moment yeah. instead of being like I'm not listening to a podcast but my kids are in the other room and they need me exactly, you know what right? I mean and, or I'm at the gym and like I'm not really listening right I mean there's so many different distractions who are, who are some of the cooler people that you've met because obviously some of the people that you guys work out with uh, Jason Poston is that his Poston? name Poston he was really cool he was like you would think I don't know. You just see people on the internet, so then you think like you you exactly. make up this. You already have like an expectation. Yeah, you have like, like you make up this person already, and then you meet them, and you're like, wow, they're actually really amazing. Yeah. Like Emily is, you know, I'm like, oh, she's gonna be like stuck up or something, but she's an amazing woman, amazing woman. Like, there's a reason that she got put in my life. Um, I don't really. I've met a lot of women over social media, but um, nobody like big. Right. But I've just had made so many connections. Um, yeah, I don't really meet famous people. <laughs> who is famous and who Who's isn't famous? these yeah, days, right? So I don't. I don't know. I've just made. I've been grateful for the connections that I have made. I mean, absolutely. And I'm trying to think of. Other people, because obviously Emily stayed with you guys that weekend yeah, for like it was like the America America Fest. America Fest. How was that? Was that fun? It was, a, yeah. That's kind of interesting. I remember Peter telling me about that. I'm like, I might swing by, but like it seems you very know political. What was so weird, and we started panicking when we got there. So we go in, and there's hundreds of thousands of people at this event. Yeah. But when we went in, when we first went in with our tickets. There was not one security guard, not one metal detector, not one Ugh. anything checking your bags. Nothing. Like to go to a hockey game, you have to go through a metal detector and get your stuff. And this checked. is a, a political event. This We're is like, a political event. Donald Trump Jr. is going to be here. Yes. Right. And like, nobody's think? getting searched. And so we started panicking because we're like, anybody could be walking in with a gun right now. Yeah. So then we, me, Emily, and Peter, we all created this like backup plan if something was to happen. We sat at the very top of the bleachers because if somebody came in we could jump off the back of the bleachers like we had this whole thing plotted because it was fucking sketchy i was blown away like a political event and we had a couple of friends there that were carrying and i'm like this is what i mean this is a big political event and a lot of people don't like us so yeah you're far right you're you're far left you know it's like that doesn't make any sense at all it was so weird and it was like i don't know I wanted somebody to explain it to me, but there was nobody to ask. And nothing happened. Nothing happened. We were safe. Safe, healthy, and strong. We came out. But isn't that weird? Politicians, country stars. Yeah. People doing meet and greets. Donald Trump Jr. was there. And nobody got searched. Charlie Kirk. (laughs) Yeah. Jason Aldean's wife. I think I saw one of my friends post a picture with her. That's insane. Mm -hmm. You never see that today. Ever. No, I can't go to a baseball game without getting searched. You can't go to a half the baseball games in a... You can't go to a concert. No. A small concert. You, 
I grew up in New York. I can't even get into Yankee Stadium without having a Vax yeah. card, right? Yeah. It's, like, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, this has been a lot of fun talking to you, getting to know you. Because yeah. I, I have always found it very, uh, very fun talking to people. Because, again, like, you guys are very good with your social medias. You and Peter both. From what I've seen, you guys are very active when you guys are on I it. I just try and be just like myself, you know. I, I do. I got on there today. I was talking about the birthday party, how shitty it was. And then I don't know what else I put it on there. But I just try and be myself. Right, because like, I don't give a fuck what anybody thinks. If you think I'm ugly or if my make, like, I don't do my makeup <laughs> very often. Like, if you don't like it, I don't, I don't care. You can kiss my ass. So that's great though, because you're your authentic version of yourself. Yep. And at the end of the day, this is who you are. Yeah. And you're showing the people who the real you is. Oh, I'll even put a filter on, and I'll be talking with a filter. And I'm like, wow, look at me. And then I'll take the filter off, and be like, well, yeah, look at that. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yeah. <laughs> so what do you got going on the rest of the day? Is it just uh, hanging out or? My oldest wanted, she brought a cookbook home from school and she wanted to make a cake, so. That's fun. Uh, said, fuck it, might as well make a cake. Well, let's get you home making that cake then. Yeah. I appreciate you coming on, I'm though. I'm so happy to be on here. I hope this was, uh, I hope this rivaled Roll Call with Chappie. I don't know. Maybe we talked about a little bit different stuff, but. Wait, I think there was a couple things that okay. we talked about that was different. A lot of things. I told him we needed a part two because uh, my episode with him did really, really well. And so I was like, let's do a part two. And he's like, yeah, we'll talk about it. If it does really well, you got to do, do it again, another one. right? The people want to hear it. Exactly. So I'm, yeah, I appreciate you having me on. Well, you guys definitely want to check out this episode with Hannah Keller. You definitely want to check out Roll Call with Chappie, uh, their episode. And obviously they got a new one coming up at some point, too. Again, that's Roll Call with Chappie. That's the full title yep, of it. Yep, and then his uh, uh, website is PeterMeyerhoff.com. PeterMeyerhoff.com. It's as simple as that, ladies and gentlemen. But this was episode 485. Remember to head on over to Mayweather Boxing and Fitness uh, to sign up for that membership. And, of course, it is NFL Championship weekend for both the AFC and NFC. Make your picks by using the promo code capital B-L-E-A-V-50. Again, that's capital B-L-E-A-V-50 for that 50% bonus using Bet Online. Zach, hit the lights, man. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.